Hey there, thanks so much for joining me on this episode of The Shaleen Show. You are in for such a treat. You've probably already noticed that this is a two-parter. Today, I'm interviewing a woman who has incredible strength and something for all of us to learn from. She's a true leader. I love her story. You're going to love her story. You're going to find so much inspiration in this story. A little bit of background about Sandy. Now, if you're not a reality TV person, it doesn't matter. Keep listening. This is not an episode about reality TV. This is an episode about belief in someone, getting comfortable with talking about your past, your faith, and leadership. This episode has something for everyone. Welcome to The Shaleen Show. Shaleen is a New York Times bestselling author, celebrity fitness trainer, and obsessed with helping you live your dream life. Sandy Yawn happens to be the captain of this huge yacht that is the centerpiece of a reality TV show on Bravo called Below Deck Mediterranean. Now, my family and I, we freaking love us some Bravo. We watch all the Bravo reality TV shows. So we were watching Below Deck, that series, before Sandy was ever on the show. But when Sandy got on the show, I started watching for different reasons. Oh, I couldn't wait for them to show a scene with Sandy because I always felt like there was something for me to learn in terms of how to be a better leader. It's the first person who I've ever reached out to on a reality TV show and asked if I could interview them. Well, that's not true. I've also reached out to Reza. I love Reza as well. But I love Sandy for different reasons. Reza from Shaw's of Sunset. He's just super entertaining and hysterical. And for purely selfish reasons, I think it'd be really fun just to sit down with him. But I have a lot to learn from Sandy. And you are going to love this episode. But before I go further, let me say this. As much as I'm certain you're going to love this episode, like it's going to be one of your all-time favorites, until you listen to part two. All right, spoiler alert, Sandy Yawn is a badass, but like so humble and so down to earth and so chill. And, you know, it's a podcast, so you can't see her. And if you don't watch the show, you should definitely Google her. But let me tell you, up close and personal, this woman is beautiful. She never stopped smiling. She never stopped smiling. My point is, I don't know why I told you that, except that I like to picture the person when I'm listening to an interview. Sandy is a badass. She is a quiet badass. Like she is very humble and she's confident. And in episode two, you're going to hear about what happened to her in the Red Seas while she was the captain of a boat, a ship, a ginormous ship, 157 feet as she's delivering this ginormous boat, a female captain in the middle of the Red Sea, a storm hits, this insane storm that she thought was going to take the boat out. It gets worse. The engines catch on fire. The crew wants to jump overboard. And then pirates arrive. The story is the kind of thing movies are made out of. In fact, you're going to love this interview with her about that experience but she can't share all of the details because there is a movie in the making. But let me tell you, it is riveting. So after you listen to this one, please be sure to save some time and listen to part two. Fascinating stuff. If you can, grab a pen and a piece of paper because this woman dropped some serious knowledge on us. And by the way, we do talk about our faith. I hope that you love that part. If not, uh, sorry, not sorry. Seriously, it's an awesome conversation. I think a lot of people need to hear it. Anyways. You actually need to hear this whole thing. So without further ado, Captain Sandy Yawn. I think what I'm most in admiration of you is what I call just a quiet confidence. 
Like you don't need to put people down. You don't need to demand people's attention. I think the most confident people, they're not going to demand your attention in the room. They're just quietly confident. Have you always been that way? Well, I was a messed up kid. I always start lead with that. Tell me what that means, you're a messed up kid. I was on the bus. I was in the eighth grade, and my neighbor gave me a quaalude. Okay. And from that day forward, I found drugs in school, like many kids do. I used to sit in the front seat of the bus. Were your parents married? My parents parents were divorced. My mom was an alcoholic. They divorced when I was eight years old. I'm the youngest of three girls. Both parents remarried with kids. So they Mm. we got stepbrothers and sisters. So I'd spend the summers with my dad and I'd go to school, you know, live with my mom. Mm. And it was always a very volatile house because my mom was so up and down. I always say this. I don't blame my parents for anything. Clearly they, they did the best thing they could. They didn't know. They were never taught. Mm-hmm. So how could you blame your parents? It's like if I don't, how do you learn? So how did I learn? Turn my life around. So it wasn't, it, you know, oh my gosh. This I haven't really talked about ever. I think I mentioned it at the reunion when Conrad was sitting across from me. I go, at 23, I was in jail. You know? Oh, for what? Like a list, uh, drinking and driving mm-hmm. mainly, because mm-hmm. in my state, drinking was allowed at 17. Wow. I know, right? <laughs> scary. Uh, scary. Yeah. It was legal. Totally. And you know, we had, dri- like in Mississippi, that I didn't live there, but you had drive through daiquiri places where you could drive through and buy a daiquiri. Sure. The DUI laws were not as strict, but hey, I got a few of them. You said, I quit drinking, and someone believed in me. At what age did you so stop drinking? So at 17, I was court-ordered to a treatment center. So I learned to get out of trouble with the police. All I had to do was say, I'm an addict. I need to go to Glen Oaks, whatever the name of Glen Ridge. They'd take me, and I didn't have to go to jail. So that was my out. But in that and moment— And you used that more than once? Oh, my gosh. I can't even count so many times. It was always driving related. Sure. Being in those places, it planted seeds. Like I would hear stories, but I was so young. I was like, I'm never going to quit drinking Mm. or smoking pot. The use of drugs and alcohol were to make me feel confident, to make me feel better. I felt like I belonged because I never really felt that. Mm. And then that was that false pride, that false confidence, because the minute it wore off, I was back into my, can I do this? Am I really, I never had a role model. I never had, hey, addiction runs in my family. It destroy, It's destroyed my family. Like it's still in my family. If it wasn't for certain people in my life that, said, hey, you could live a different way if you just don't do certain things. And it took me until I was 25. So is 25 the age you stopped drinking? Yes. So I haven't had a drug or drink in 30 years. Wow. That is amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Did you go to treatment to do that? Well, I've been in, listen, I was in and out of halfway houses, treatment centers, jails, and institutions. And I just remember I went to this one, I drove to Fort Lauderdale. I got arrested. The car was impounded. My mom was out of town because my mother was my biggest enabler. How so? She bailed me out every time. Mm. She wasn't around. I called my dad. He's like, nope. 
and I had to stay the night. So I spent the night, and the next day, I said, I want to go to this treatment center called Stepping Stones, and I went. In the process of that, I was in and out. The director, one day, I was coming back, and she goes, Sandy, you're not worth the paperwork. And I just remember thinking, oh, my, I'm not even worth the paperwork. It was that moment that I was like, the difference was I had a job, I had an apartment, I didn't lose everything. Mm. And I thought, huh. So I went back there every day. Every day I had breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Because they didn't kick you out, you know, it was, but she wouldn't allow me back. And then two weeks later, she looked at me and she said, okay, I want your paycheck. Every week, you only get $20 a week to live off. And I'm like, okay. And I went and I stayed for six months and then I you know, did what we're supposed to do. And then since that day, my life has only gotten better. Mm. I was a pretty um, bad kid. I was the kind of kid that my girlfriends now will sometimes call me and say, we just found out our daughter's doing this and doing that. And I'll try to calm them down and let them know like, hey, they might turn out okay. You know, because let me tell you how much worse I was. And I like to think, because I hear stories, that sometimes bad kids make, great leaders, because I was always convincing everyone to do these things with me. <laughs> do you think there's some truth in that? And was there some truth in that for you? Yes. And also people who come from this type of background are survivors. We're street smart. Mm-hmm. We learn how to manipulate. Yeah. We learn how to cultivate. And we learn how to get exactly what we want. I didn't have money, so I had to use my wits i had to use what it took to survive like in my world how much of that do you credit to your emotional intelligence you know i think it's kids when you don't have that support that you kids grow up emotionally before their time like i think i developed emotionally because my mother and my father had divorced we didn't have a choice we were sort of like on our own yeah so you grow up really fast. Your childhood isn't the childhood that's the perfect childhood. So yes, I think emotionally you develop very quickly on survival. Like how can I get what I need, what I want? And basically that's, and I rallied. I mean, I, I always had a following. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's like, let's mm-hmm. go do this or skip school and ride We're motorcycles. We're looking for right. someone to tell us what to do, right? Like, we want to know what what should we be doing, even as adults. Like, what should I be wearing? What should I be doing on social media? Like, we're always looking for someone who at least seems like they know what they're doing so that we can kind of relax and go, okay, cool, I'm safe. Rest on our laurels. Yeah. I yeah. don't have to work so hard. Yeah. And when you're in survival mode, you're working hard every day. Mm. And so for me, it was like, when I realized that I wasn't worth the paperwork, that's when I decided, hey, I actually want to make something of my life. You just said, when I realized I wasn't worth the paperwork, is that the right statement? Or was it when I realized I actually was? Well, when she used those words, Mm -hmm. she helped me. Mm. And she did believe in me because she allowed me back in and gave me, you know, parameters of how I could live there. And I did. And I stayed there six months and my life changed. I didn't want to be a yacht captain. I had no idea what I wanted to be. And you're how old? Your first job in a boat? 26, 27. Mm-hmm. 
who was it that got you interested? I answered in- an ad in the paper. It was they were hiring a person for a boat. I worked for this guy, Tom Stroutman, and he crashed the boat wherever we went. He was a major drinker, and it was a mess. And we had this other guy, and I did all the work. He never allowed me on the bridge. I was like, okay, so I lasted like a year, and I go, I'm done. And I left, and I came back to Fort Lauderdale, and I worked for a guy named Steve Mangini. And I started washing boats and maintaining boats, Mm -hmm. and I learned. Was that also at the time something mainly guys were doing? Like, were you one of the few females? This particular company, his wife did a lot of the work. When it comes to washing boats, there were more men. Yes, more guys. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I had 14 boats I maintained a week. And this one guy, John Flynn, I took care of his boat, steps out, and he goes, hey, you do such a great job. He goes, you know, I'd really like to have someone full-time. So I said, well, that's really great, but I I need to go talk to Steve. Because I wasn't going to just say yes, because Steve's client. One of the things that I learned is that you do the right thing. You always do the right thing. Do the next right thing. And that's what was so drilled into my being when I stopped drinking from the people that helped me. Always do the next right thing. And let's clarify that because I think a lot of people do do the next right, the best thing, the right thing in what sense? Well, we all have a gut and a consciousness. We all know what's right, right? The right thing would be, I actually work for this guy. This is his client. I need to go discuss this with him. That's called loyalty. And so because of him, I had this job and that's, I'm making money because of Steve Mangini. Mm -hmm. So I went back to Steve. I sat down at the office and I was like, hey, I want to run something by you that I'm hoping that you'll agree to. And if you don't, I get it. And I told him, he goes, oh my gosh. He goes, yeah, I lose a client. He goes, but I'm so happy for you. And that's when I started. Honesty. I mean, the lesson there is honesty. Communication. I always say, I might not be happy, but I'll I'll never be upset with someone who comes to me with the truth. Like, just communicate. Just. But sometimes you just need those little. Well, I needed guidance. So I knew, okay, I'm going to do the right thing. And if he says no, that's okay because there's something else down the road. Mm -hmm. And that's also what I learned is that you don't, you're not always going to get what you want. (laughs) <laughs> what you think, because sometimes what you think you want isn't really what you, you need. need. Right, right, exactly. Right. Yeah. At that moment it was, and then it was John Flynn's boat. And John Flynn gave me, he was the hardest guy in the world to work for. Finance guy. And I, I would say this to him today because he's the same guy. Some people are great at running companies, and some people are great with people. And, and which is he? He's great at making money and running a company. But he had such a profound effect on you. He knew my background. So he knew who I was. Yeah. He gave me an opportunity. He was not easy. I mean, we had a lot of like arguments. He put a lot of pressure on me, but he molded me and he believed in me. It's great when people show respect and appreciation and you continually give this person credit. I'm like, who is this person? What is it he did that makes you do for others in that same way? What did he do that you're like, I want to be that person for someone who is a lot like me? He did not give up on me if I did something wrong. He believed in me. Mm-hmm. And you know what it was? It was my willingness. It wasn't just him. I had a willingness to learn. I was like a sponge. 
Like I was willing. And I. So do I, you I, see that in others? Joao, mm-hmm. perfect example. Yes, in my crew through the years, absolutely. Some crew that were like me, you know, before I stopped drinking, I just grabbed this one guy. I go, you may not believe in you. You may not think you're worth it, but I do. And I'm not going to give up. So pay attention, you know, and I just said, you're an amazing human being. You know, when you meet those people and they're, you just know, and they don't destined for greater things. You can tell. And so, yes, through the years, I have helped many crew members. And then what's great about the TV show is I actually get to help people on that's being watched by other people who are sitting maybe in a scenario or a situation where they don't feel like they could go the they have someone that believes in them or that's what I love about America. Your wildest dreams can come true, (laughs) but you have to put the work in. There's a scene in one of the from last season, I think, when Hannah, who was kind of a nightmare during the season, she had this moment where she was just like breaking down in her room and crying hysterically over this guy that she had hooked up with, who was another crew member. And she's the chief stew. She's the person in charge, really, of all the other people, the staff. And she's breaking down and crying about the fact that she always falls in love and guys always hurt her, etc., And I was thinking to myself, like, I just have zero tolerance for this right now. Sandy is going to walk in there and say, get your ass up, pull yourself together, you know, decide to be a better leader. But in that moment, you shifted immediately into taking care of her and saying, listen, you are more important than that. Don't ever let someone make you feel that way. And you also said, you know, I want you to rest. I want you to take the time that you need to like repair your mind. I'm not sure what the words you were used specifically, but basically you told her like, take the time you need to get your head right. And I was like, geez, I couldn't even believe what an incredible moment that was to learn how to treat people. I, um, the golden rule, right? Treat others how you want to be treated. It starts there. Now, when I worked for John, I didn't feel like he treated me fairly. I always felt like he rode me really hard, and I never got any accolades. Mm. You know, great job, Sandy, or, oh, my God, thank you, this looks amazing. He would always find the things that I didn't do. It's Mm. like, Jesus, like, I worked so hard. And through my experiences, yes, he believed in me and he gave me the opportunity, but he also taught me other things, how I wanted to, I did not want to be that person. And I thought, how do I want to be treated in this scenario? Also... I am a yacht captain. I have an ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. The end of the goal is to have the client happy, and how do I get there? So if I have emotional beings that are stressed out, they can't handle the pressure, I can't always be, this is your job, you got to do it. You know, you have to think about, how am I going to get this result? Take a breath. I'm going to allow them to take some time and rest and then hopefully they will come out of their cabin and be really grateful and then want to do an even better job I like to lead people where they feel that I have their back so much that they would never do anything to disappoint me Mm. because they feel I go to battle for them Mm. that will step up for them and that's how I like to lead a team and I always say to the crew 
We are a village. We're a team. I'm your leader. I'm your coach. I'm your team leader. So if we have a man down, we're picking up the slack because I work for a captain. I've seen you pick up the slack. I mean, you jump in there and and do whatever needs to be done. Because I work for a captain, he never allowed me on the bridge and he never helped me. And he would go off the dock and smoke his cigarettes while I had to cover the entire boat, clean it. He never helped me. I think you need that human element where you're not so self-centered and it's not about you that you actually have compassion for people. But there's a line and you will see. I've had to let people go where I, I sat this one guy down and I go, I think you're an amazing person. I love your knowledge on history. And I point out the things that I really like about them. And I always say, but I have to let you go because you're not fulfilling what I need on board. Mm. This is not personal. Mm, mm, mm. But I need a certain, I have requirements. Yes. And so I let them go. And I said, but I still want to stay in touch. Like, let's go for lunch, however I can help you. And if you contact my crew, you know, over the years, I guarantee you the majority of those crew will say I was a great captain. I know they will. Yeah. There are some who probably hate me, but that's okay. There's something I noticed you do because <laughs> I was listening to an interview. In one interview, you said they asked, what crew member would you least want back? And you said, Hannah. And again, that same chief stew that really struggled. And then they said, and what crew member would you want back? And you said, Hannah. I thought, well, that is so indicative to me. What I see of you is that you want to give people the chance to get it right. You don't want to get it right for them. You want to see them get it right. You know, yes. And Hannah is an amazing human being. But Hannah, all Hannah wants is to be loved. All Hannah wants is to have a relationship and have babies. Uh-huh. But Hannah doesn't know how to get there. Right. So Hannah, she has a good heart. She, I've seen it. We've had conversations. I see that in her. But, and then she could do the switch. You just go, okay. When are you, as an individual, as a person, like now we're just talking to the person who's listening to this, who keeps giving their abusive husband a chance to get it right, allowing their unhealthy parent back into their life to try to give their parent a chance to get it right? When do you realize, like, they're just not going to get it right, and I'm wasting energy? Usually, like, the third time. Mm. Like, there's a number. There's a number for me. Mm. When I wake up, I always say to the crew, if I never take this away, my smile. There's no reason why you should. We're all here to work. We're all here to make money. Let's just do our jobs, right? And have fun doing it. If I wake up and you're on my mind, that's not a good day for you. And that's usually your last day. I should wake up and think about the person I want to be with. Right. Not someone that works for me. Yeah. And that's usually, that is my rule for me this is done we're done because i've already had the conversations and nothing's changing now if there's someone's in an abusive relationship i would just say to that person or they're in a situation where they're not happy and i actually said this if you're not happy in your job then you're miserable find another one leave that job why is it so hard for people to figure out i don't know why does fear keep them in places it's fear it's fear of okay what's the worst case scenario that you run out of money and have to borrow some you actually got to go out and interview it's like just dress up and show up and just do it nothing's going to change unless something changes and it starts with me meaning the person that needs to change so 
my advice to people, and even if I have a crew member that's just not getting it, mm-hmm. I tell them, I go, go find your why. Go mm-hmm. find your, what is it that drives you? I was thinking about you a lot the last couple of days, and I was thinking, she'd have been the best freaking mom oh, in the world. <clears throat> but then I realized you are a parent. You are a role model, because that's what a parent should be. They're not just someone who makes peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and makes sure you're clothed. A good parent is a role model, is teaching you right from wrong, is teaching you. A good parent teaches their child to believe in themselves. And I think about like all of the people who you have parented, in effect, role modeled for. And because a lot of these people, I don't know if it's just for TV or if it's just in general, they had really childhoods no it's in general i mean it's not the tv i mean come on look at our society now it's even when you have people that really want to change and make Mm -hmm. a difference in life Mm -hmm. how much how aware are you that like this person needs to be role model they need to learn this i want to role model this to them i want to speak to them and speak into them i want them to believe in themselves how often do you think of that or is it just what you're doing i think about that every day i wake up i think about how I can give back. Giving back isn't writing a check. Giving back is taking your time and investing in someone. Let me use Joao, because he was on TV. Um, Conrad, if Conrad would have been interested in a career in yachting and not, Conrad was there for the camera. Joao, this kid, was always asking me questions and always on the bridge. And I thought, what is it about him that I'm so fixated on to help? And you know what? One day I looked up and I said, I got it. I know what it is. I said, you're grateful for every experience that's put in front of you. You have gratitude because he's never had that. He is grateful. And even when people give him a hard time or he is just so grateful. Okay. Speaking of gratitude, I want to express my gratitude to our ex-neighbors, Chuck and Vicky, for recommending that we get a sleep number mattress 17 years ago. I'm not joking. You've heard me talk about this mattress before, and now I'm super duper excited because we've been using sleep number mattresses in our home for over 17 years. I'm really excited that they are now going to be a sponsor of The Shaleen Show. So let me tell you this. We sleep on a sleep number bed that's called a smart bed, or it's a 360 smart bed. It's insane. It can lift Brett's head independently of mine. So if he's snoring at night, I don't have to like wake him up five times and go, honey, you're snoring. He's so cute when I do that, by the way. I can just raise his head up while he's sleeping without having to wake him up and he stops snoring. This bed allows one person to sleep with the bed firm and the other person to sleep with their side soft. There's no comparison to it. In fact, it was rated as highest in customer service satisfaction with mattresses by JD Power in 2018. That also makes me very proud. By the way, my sleep number is currently at a 40 and Brett is at a 55. But when my body, I don't know, sometimes I just need my bed to be firmer and I don't have to change mattresses. I just change the setting. It's awesome, you guys. It's amazing. Once you sleep on this bed, you'll never go back. Sleep number is the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. In order to be healthy, you need to have your sleep. So get a quality mattress. You can go check them out yourself. Just go into one of their stores. They have a bajillion of them. Well, 575 to be exact nationwide. So you will find one close to you. Or write this down. Actually, I don't think you'll forget it. Sleepnumber.com forward slash Shaleen. Okay, because right now, 
they have a special going on where you get 50% off on a Sleep Number 360 limited edition smart bed. That's like the big mamma jamma bed that we have. It's unbelievable. I'm telling you, once you sleep on this bed, you're not going to want to stay in a luxury hotel or anywhere else unless they have a sleep number bed. Check it out and back to the show. Isn't gratitude just the coolest quality and the greatest gift you can give yourself and it's just the coolest thing to see in other people? Because I don't think you can fake it. And that's what it was because I, you know, when my first season with Malia, Bobby, uh, Wes, Wes was great because Wes was career-minded. He knew what he wanted. And I remember having a conversation and Bobby, I think, was there just for the camera in the beginning when I first met Bobby. He didn't want any part of Sandy. No part of the bridge. He never came to the bridge. And that was Bobby, my first season with him, whereas Wes was a sponge. So on the bridge, when I'm engaging with another crew member, we're navigating and I'm teaching them radar. The other person starts to look and they're like looking, going, wow, what is Sandy teaching her or what is Sandy teaching him? And they start to get curious and they go, wow, I want to actually learn the radar because it's a fun piece of equipment and it's actually can avoid collision at sea. And that's how I like to engage the crew. When Malia, I I remember I, I said, hey, there were three people on the bridge, Bobby, Wes, and Malia. I said, so what are your goals after this? You know, what's your next thing after this? You want to be a captain? You're obviously on the bridge because you like boats and maybe your next step is to be a captain. And Wes is like, yes, I want to be a captain. I go, then you will be. Mm. Stay focused. Mm. Malia goes, hey, Cap, sorry, I just want to work on dive boats. <laughs> Bobby's like, yeah, yeah, I think he did. Yeah, I don't know. He was just like, the next day, I was like, oh, okay. Malia was on watch. The next day, she goes, hey, Cap, did you see what I put in the logbook? And I go, no. She goes, I looked up all my courses. My spending time with Wes, she thought about it. And the next day, she looked up her courses. You know, Malia has her license. She's a licensed captain now. Bobby, the next season, because I got to do two seasons with Bobby, he was very different than my first season with him. And then he became, and I said to him, you want to be a captain? You make a great captain. You're compassionate. You were a fireman. You just got to work on your temper. He has the personality where he would make a great captain because making a great captain, you have to diffuse. You have to be able to diffuse situations. You also have to manage people. Bobby was good at that because he's a fireman. He was great in emergencies. The boating world is lacking captains, professional captains. If they really want a career as a captain, let me help you. I got Joao a job as a captain because I believe in him. And I knew he could do it. And he's doing it. He has a job. I hear a lot of people say, I don't have supportive women and friends in my lives. My leader or my boss, my supervisor hasn't helped me at all. I'm here on my own. I don't have an upline, you know, these kinds of things. And my thinking is no one's going to come and knock on your door. You've got to get up on the bridge. True leader is looking for people who are hungry, thirsty, and taking action. Like every person that you've just described is someone who's, you're pouring a little bit into them and they're doing something with it. They're taking action. I'm not going to seek you out. Right. And I'm not knocking on doors and saying, are you a you know, supportive woman that'd like to join my community? Well, go out and be that person right. and look for that support and be that support and then do something about it. So I hope that everyone hears in the stories that you've just shared, the difference between opportunities isn't like luck or favor. 
If you want something, then go and be a sponge, be a, a fan, and be a student. And the greatest thing a student can do for their teacher is do something with what they've learned, like actually do something with it. You know, that's interesting because a lot of people don't believe they can. And this is where I grab the crew member more than once and go, I believe in you. Mm-hmm. You can do this. And if maybe it's not something you want to do, but right now you're here, so why not learn? And maybe this becomes your passion. I think a lot of people, the reason they don't go, hey, will you help me, is they're afraid. I think they're uh, afraid and they, they're afraid they can't do it. I think the fear is not because they're lazy. I believe that they're not sure if they could do it. Mm-hmm. And they're afraid to ask. Do you think they're afraid of rejection? That if I ask you for help, if I tell you I want to do this. If you want what I have, then you do exactly what I tell you to do. Now, I got him a job with a guy. And I told the guy, he's new, don't push him. And the guy pushed him and he took the boat off the dock. And when I saw the boat, I came and saw the boat. I was so angry because it was dangerous. So I went to the owner And I was so mad. And I said, I care about the crew member, Joao. I go, I love him and I care about him. What you did was wrong because you know he's new. And you know he's eager. And you have a responsibility because you're older. And you pushed him to take that boat out. Now, he is wrong for taking it off the dock. And I said, you'll get your next boat, your next crew. He, his career hasn't even started and it will end because of you. Mm. And then I looked at both of them. And Joao goes, this is so awkward. He was like freaking out because I was yelling at this. And I said, I will cut all ties with both of you if this ever happens again. And I will call the Coast Guard on you because what you did was dangerous. You didn't worry about offending them. You didn't worry about um, burning a bridge. You just did the right thing and said the right thing. Yes, because lives are at stake. Our job carries lives to see. This is no joke. You're not just jumping in your car and driving up to the 7-Eleven. You're taking a freaking boat offshore. You're taking a boat offshore with a lot of equipment, a lot of people on board, and the chances of something happening on that boat before a car are far greater. I wrote an email. I got a guy for you. He's hungry. He's eager. He needs an owner that believes in him like John did me. He needs an opportunity. Make sure before he goes off the dock, you have another captain on board. I do not recommend that he go to to the Bahamas taking your boat without another experienced captain until such time, which may be a month or two. But he is great at navigation. It's the decision making. So when you're eager and you're young and you just want to please an owner, you're going to do exactly what they ask because you're vulnerable and you don't want to lose this opportunity. And that's where I feel like the owner took advantage. And so there's a responsibility on both sides. A good captain would not leave the dock. A good captain would say, this vessel is not seaworthy, mm. because it wasn't. Mm. <laughs> I saw the boat and I was... And Joao knew that? You know, you know he knew that. Of course he knew that. But he didn't... Have the confidence to... The, I don't think he could tell him. And he goes... And after I walked away from Burgess, and I specifically walked out of the brokerage, because I didn't want that owner... To be attached. These are my relationships. So yeah. I specifically walked him out in front and then I let him out. I see. I see. And then I told Joao, I said, you have to learn. I go, you are an asset. Never forget that. 
And the minute that you don't feel safe or comfortable with this owner, you tell me and I will get you on a better boat. Wow. Because he is an asset. You're doing that as a mentor. You're not his boss in the situation. He's not your employee in the situation. You're doing that as a mentor. Right. Because our industry needs great captains. We need great crew. I love my industry. You're trying to lift people up above your level. Yes. Because you have an abundancy mindset. Yes. Yeah. So many people who grew up in a similar situation, parents divorced, you know, one parent who's an addict, mixed families, you getting introduced to drugs and alcohol at an early age and struggling with addiction yourself. Like, so all these negatives that so many people would see that as like, the world is conspiring against me. And here you are with this incredible attitude, this resilience, you know, you want to lift others up. You have gratitude and belief and you never stop smiling. What was it about your childhood and has made you who you are today? I would think it was when I stopped drinking that shaped me. Honestly, you know, I think internally I'm I'm a good person. Like, I believe that. Like, I never wanted to hurt an animal. My dad, my stepdad was a hunter. I got a 410 rifle when I was eight years old for my birthday and he took me hunting and I killed a squirrel and I cried. It was the worst birthday mm. ever. And he goes, mm. well, we have to eat it because you can't kill an animal unless you eat it. And I was like, well, you didn't tell me that. <laughs> you know, so it was terrible. So I had that human element of compassion for animals and I never killed another animal because my stepdad was a major hunter. We had a lot of guns and, you know, we used to practice shooting guns in our backyard because we lived on 12 acres. Now, I believe my work ethic came from my childhood because we worked as kids. Was your household chaotic? You know, my mom's drinking history was when she was married to my father, my birth father. And then she got sober? No. She married my stepdad. And when she did that, I think she stopped drinking. Oh. You know, we talk a lot about beliefs, how you can change your beliefs. You can change so many things. You can develop new habits. You can break bad habits. You you can be a completely different person. But... For so many people, it's what they've been role modeled is then what they demonstrate. So it's really interesting to me. You didn't have great role models as parents. And one of the most influential, sounds like one of the most influential people taught you things you wanted to do and things you didn't want to do. I mean, you know this to be true. You've got friends who like what they saw, they knew it wasn't good, but they're doing what was role modeled to them now instead of looking at it and going, well, that's what I don't want to be. That's the kind of parent I don't want to be. That's the kind of spouse I don't want to be. What do you think it is that's allowed you to go, okay, I can see all of this. This is how I want to show up. Awareness. A lot of people are not aware. Being conscious. I wake up every day and I think about how can I give back? Not what can I take, but how can I give If I feel like sorry for myself or this isn't happening, I think, well, I'm sitting in my house feeling sorry for myself. Why don't I go help someone else? Mm. Because that makes me feel better. Why don't I show up for someone else that is less fortunate than me? That doesn't mean money. That means time. It's awareness. And so sometimes I'm aware. Sometimes I'm not. And then I pray. I ask Mm. God. Help me. Every day I go, I want to be a better human being. Divorce me from self-pity, dishonesty, self-seeking motives. And help me be more self-aware. I know you have a strong faith. We share that in common. When people talk about purpose, and they're all caught up in that, like, what's my purpose? And I think they think it's supposed to be like one thing. My personal belief is I was shaped a certain way. I believe that my job here that God wants me to serve for him is to, to share and to teach. 
Like I'm a really good teacher, I think, because I was a horrible student. So I'm, I'm good at teaching and I love teaching. Sometimes when people haven't asked to be taught, you know, I can be a know-it-all and I like to share answers. I know I was shaped to do that and no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm teaching fitness or teaching business or or parenting or podcasting, I was meant to share. That's what God wants, built me to do. What did God build you to do? To lead and to inspire. Like, I know that. It's so interesting because I don't really talk about God because I a lot of people freak out or whatever. And I just, you know, that's who I am today mm-hmm. is because mm-hmm. I have a God. Mm-hmm. Like, I pray. Mm-hmm. I hit my knees every morning. Mm-hmm. I thank Him at night. It's like I have that ritual where I go, Help me. Yeah. And thank you. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not a perfect person. When I was first in the public eye or if I was teaching an academy or a speech or etc., I always kind of kept my faith quiet, not because I didn't believe it. I just didn't want to offend anyone. I know. Why is that? Well, I don't Isn't know. And then one of my girlfriends called me out. She's like, I was just watching one of your academies and you said, you know, sometimes you're higher power. And she goes, I'm just curious, why did you say higher power? And I said, well, I don't know who's watching. She said, I know, but you don't like, you don't not talk about the fact that you love rap music because you're worried that you've got country listeners. I'm, I go, yeah. She goes, but your faith is really important to you. So why are you worried about whether someone's offended? And by the way, I know you. So do you really want to work with people who are offended by your religion? Because you're not offended by other people's religions. I said, you got a point. Right. And like literally that day, her calling me out, I was like, yeah, from now on, it is something I'll talk about. Exactly. You know, and I actually told a friend, I think you're in my life to help me be able to talk about this. I would always say a power greater than myself. Yes. But the reality is, it's God. Yeah. And yeah. I believe in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not, I don't have any shame. And if you have, and I just thought if they have judgment or they're offended, then maybe they should look at that. Absolutely. I've got listeners who are Jewish and who are of Islamic faith and they're awesome. And that's a community that I want because we respect each other's faiths. And if somebody like has a problem with the fact that I have a faith in God, I'm not going to not be who I am. I'm not going to bait and switch you. And so you get what you get and you don't throw a fit. But if it doesn't work for you, cool. (laughs) I love that. You get what you get, but you don't throw a fit. That's great. Hey, did you watch that Denzel Washington speech, God First? Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Dreams are just dreams unless you make goals. You, I'm so glad we're doing this because it, this is the first time I've ever talked about it. Really? Yes. Never talked about going to jail. Hey, you know what? I came from hell and I <laughs> ended up here because I did the work. And God was a big part of that. Put God first. Put God first in everything you do. Everything that you think you see in me, everything that I've accomplished, everything that you think I have, and I have a few things, everything that I have is by the grace of God. Understand that. It's a gift. I've been protected. I've been directed. I've been corrected. I've kept God in my life and has kept me humble. I didn't always stick with him, but he always stuck with me. So stick with him in everything you do. If you think you want to do what you think I've done, then do what I've done and stick with God. Don't be afraid to think outside the box. Don't be afraid to fail big, to dream big. But remember, dreams without goals are just dreams. 
and they ultimately fuel disappointment. So have dreams, but have goals, life goals, yearly goals, monthly goals, daily goals. I try to give myself a goal every day. 